Hi, this is... Hi, this is Gary Mace. Sorry for the sound effects. Actually, some of them were intentional and some of them weren't. Um, but I kind of like it. We'll see how it sounds. Um, I'm going to read... Um, I'm back again with the case against. I'm going to read... Um, relatively brief chapter concerning Damien Eccles after he returned from uh, his uh, foray into uh, in Oregon where he, where he stayed with his family for a couple of weeks and ended up in a mental hospital and they sent him home because they were basically they were scared of him um, this is in uh, 1992, August and September. The title is, the title of the chapter from my book, Blood on Black, is Broke Probation, Sucking the Blood, Frightening the Community Members. I've also got two other books on the West Memphis Three, a condensed version of the first two books called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers, and the second volume companion volume to Blood on Black called Where the Monsters Go. Um, basically, I did two volumes to cover the, the case, and then I condensed, it down, condensed and revised all the information down into a single volume. Um, anyway, um, my throat's a little sore this week. I'm hope, hoping that that's the only problem I have in terms of uh, sound. And uh, here we go. A homesick Damien Eccles returned to Arkansas. Eccles later told friends that a satanic priestess followed him from Oregon with the intent of either murdering him or pulling him back into the cult. I, I guess this is some sort of witch cult that he was referring to. It's, it's not really clear from the record what cult he was talking about, but he was certainly involved in uh, some witchcraft cults. Um, and the whole deal with the satanic priestess <laughs> seems to be a figment of his imagination, but it's, it's just hard to know with, with, with the paucity of verification on, you know, what he actually meant and how, you know, the testing of his reality was, you know, not not uh, the best when it came to what he would tell his friends. I, it sounds like something he was just sort of bragging about to his friends, frankly, and a strange sort of brag. In his uh, 2001 affidavit, Dr. George Woods, who did this uh, examination of Eccles while he was in prison for the defense, described Eccles' circumstances. Uh, quote, uh, Mr. Eccles was completely incapable of caring for himself when he returned to Arkansas. He had no money, and his mental illness and lack of skills and experience prevented him from working. He lived on the streets and even stayed at the home of his abusive stepfather, Andy Eccles, a few nights. Within days, he was identified as, by his probation officer who believed that Mr. Eccles should be treated in a long-term residential psychiatric facility.
the probation officer had Mr. Eccles detained in the juvenile facility for violating his parole by returning to Arkansas. Staff and residents at the facility described Mr. Eccles as losing touch with reality. His behavior deteriorated drastically. One resident reported he observed Mr. Eccles, quote, sucking the blood off the scratch that another inmate had on his arm, unquote. Mr. Eccles was placed in isolation and on suicide watch. The juvenile facility quickly obtained a court order and sent Mr. Eccles to Charter Hospital. Eccles had been to Charter in June of 1992 for uh threatening to kill himself and showing some other violent, violent, disturbing tendencies and stayed there for several weeks and had been let out to leave for Oregon. Uh, had sent Mr. Eccles to, sent, sent Mr. Eccles to Charter Hospital for the purpose of determining the appropriate method of referral to a residential treatment facility. Mr. Eccles was readmitted to Charter Hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas on September 14, 1992, where he remained until his discharge on September 22, 1992. So he stayed a week or so, right? Uh, while driving Eccles to Little Rock, Jerry Driver, who is juvenile officer, a Jerry Driver asked about the blood-sucking incident. At first, Eccles told him it was a joke. Quote, and then he said, that's how you receive power. He said, I've been doing this for years. And generally it's with willing people. And he had some scars on his arms. And he, had, and he said he and his girlfriends and other people had done that. And that's how they received power. That's driver's account of it. Uh, Eccles' aunt, Patricia Liggett, was given temporary custody so she could admit him to the hospital. And it's interesting, uh, Patricia Liggett, uh, the only comment she had about the case, she seemed to, uh, and later on, the murder case, the killing of Michael Moore, Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers on May 5th, 1993 by Jason Baldwin, Jesse Miskelly, Damian Eccles, for which they were convicted and to which they later pleaded guilty. Her uh, attitude was that, you know, he, she seemed to think that he'd done it. But anyway, that was his aunt. <laughs> anyway, charter notes from September 15th indicated, Damien's behavior has become frightening to community members in Jonesboro. Had been suspected of witchcraft and or devil worship prior to incident involving arrest. Again, thought to be suicidal, but not afraid to die, per Damien. Knows he can come back. Dr. Woods reported, the provisional diagnoses at Charter Hospital were psychiatric disorder, psychotic disorder, not otherwise specified, and dysthymia. Uh, dysthymia being a type of chronic depression. Uh, staff members immediately notified, staff members immediately noticed Mr. Eccles' bizarre behavior, including his growling and making other strange sounds. Mr. Eccles also had noticeable problems with attention and concentration. He stared off into space and daydreamed to, in class and 
group activities. When staff members attempted to bring him back to the task at hand, he would, quote, then act like he was very startled as if jolted back into the group process, unquote. Other serious problems noted by staff members include alteration in thought processes, evidenced by delusional thinking and inappropriate social behavior, his appearance was disheveled and unkempt, and he had consistently poor eye contact. He dressed in, dressed in entirely black clothing, frequently wrote poems and drew pictures of symbols which one staff member erroneously interpreted as closely associated with devil worship. Mr. Eccles stated that he was a witch, not a vampire or devil worshiper. Mr. Eccles' mood disturbances continued unabated. His affect was extremely flat. He showed absolutely no observable, observable evidence of emotion, and he appeared anxious and uncomfortable. Charter Hospital records reflect that Mr. Eccles had almost no insight into the nature or severity of his problems. Like all other staff who observed Mr. Eccles over time, he was described by Charter Mental Health staff as calm, compliant, and cooperative. A psychiatrist noted that even though Mr. Eccles had difficulty with reality testing, he related in a very quiet and withdrawn fashion and was actually quite pleasant. Mr. Eccles, and this is the Damien that the news media and various select, uh, entertainment outlets that, that interviewed him in prison encountered, you know, affable, pleasant, fairly intelligent, somewhat soft-spoken young guy. No, no sign of delusion. Seemed to be quite in control of his senses and his faculties. Which I, to me indicates that Eccles can rein it in when he chooses to, because he always does. He, he, you know, he talks about his extreme uh, experiences, his extreme experiential and experiences, uh, experiential experiences his extreme um, sensory experiences and, you know, his uh, strange observations. Even now, he does from time to time. Uh, and even talks about how he's, can, he's talked about his continuing mental health problems after getting out of prison, but he seems to be able to show up at these political venues and pull off, you know, at least adequate performances and with no hint that the guy that he's subject matter aside, no hint that he's got some sort of mental health problem. Other than the fact that you know, I he, he strikes me as being very cold and uh, uh, detached. draw your own conclusions from that but you know he did describe himself as a sociopath anyway back to uh, Mr. Woods uh, Dr. Woods uh, statement here 
Mr. Eccles was discharged with diagnoses of psychotic disorder, not otherwise specified, and dysthymia. He was released to the care of his stepfather, Andy Eccles, who lived in West Memphis, Arkansas. Mr. Eccles, was talking about Damien, was instructed to continue taking his daily dose of 150 milligrams of amphetamine and report to the local mental health center for follow-up care. The discharge notes included this pledge, will not participate in occult beliefs. The discharge summary added that Eccles had stabilized and no longer needed to be in acute care. Quote, Damien contracted that he will not attempt to harm anyone after time of discharge. Unquote. Mental health professionals considered him a potential risk to others, though his behavior no longer presented immediate problems. And that's it on that chapter. I know that's brief. Um, if I start coughing, I'm going to cut things off, but basically, uh, don't have a lot to say about that. I think it stands for, it speaks for itself. Uh, Eccles is, it's his third trip to mental hospitals in the space of four months, June, July, August, and September. Uh, I will describe uh, in the ne next week or the next chapter uh, his continuing mental health treatment uh, after he got out of the second trip to Charter but before he committed the, uh, the, the killings. Uh, a lot of disturbing material there. Uh, as you can see, this was uh, he was 17 at the time. It was a, he was a teenager. He was a young man with some severe mental health problems, some severe attitude problems, uh, totally unaware and uninterested. Uh, he was interested in getting out, and he was interested in complying and getting out. So he, as I say, he could rein it in when he chose to. You know. He, you know, he's not unlike Ted Bundy, who seemed to, when he chose to, could be an affable, very reasonable, even likable fellow. More so than Eccles, I think. I think I think Bundy was better at, at uh, playing the game than Eccles. He was older and he was more experienced. Uh, and he tried harder to fit into society. Uh, and I'm not actually equating the two in terms of what uh, uh, I can't, you know, I, can't, I cannot say that Eccles is a serial killer because he's not. Well, Bundy certainly was. Um, I was going to say that um, there's just a glut of uh, true crime uh, documentaries 
offered on uh, various streaming services now. Uh, the Adnan, Adnan Sayed, the case against, I named this, I, I was not aware of this series coming up, the case against Adnan Sayed on HBO, which has had two episodes so far. And I have to say, just what I've seen so far, I don't really get it. I mean, this Ad, Adnan guy looks pretty guilty to me. Uh, I haven't se- I haven't studied the case closely. In fact, I've you could say I haven't really studied it at all. I've, I've I know a little bit about it, but not much more than what I've seen in the series so far. And just the one I've seen so far, he. You know, he's got this. He's got these people who are testifying that he did it. You know, he buried the body. He confessed to to them. Uh, I know there's more to the story than that, but so far, that's what I'm seeing. And uh, you know, I listened to Serial recently. I was not. I'm not a true crime fan as such. Not in the hardcore sense it's something I've indulged in from time to time but uh, it's not something I'm heavily been heavily involved in uh, or that I'm heavily involved in away from the West Memphis 3 case uh, I do have an interest in how journalists and so-called journalists really they're they're propagandists disguised as journalists acting as documentarians, so-called documentarians who are putting out uh, things such as Making a Murderer, the case against Adnan Sayed, uh, the story, the thing on um, uh, Netflix right now about the Madeline McCann case, which seems, it seems to be perceived as an apology for the parents, but thus far, and I've only seen about half the series so far, they're looking pretty guilty too. Without, I'm not, and I'm not saying that if we we went to court with them that I could convict them, but they don't look innocent. There's something something very funny going on there. I don't know exactly what it is. I don't think anybody else does either. I think in that sense it's a real mystery, but there's something something there. And they certainly don't deserve our, uh, without some more clarification, I don't think they really deserve our sympathy. They seem to have grossly misled investigators about what was going on, and then there's evidence the, with the smell dogs that uh, something very strange happened. And at first I wrote it off when they first brought in the dogs. I thought, well, this is a motel room. This is a rental car. All sorts of things can happen here, and it wouldn't be specific to this particular family. And frankly, there's an, that but, but enough in itself would be enough to throw off doubt, enough doubt, enough reasonable doubt to make it difficult to convict in court. If it was their own personal car, it would be different. But a rental car that's used, a hire car, as they put it, that's used by lots of people, 
You know, I, 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 who knows? Maybe somebody else had a corpse. <laughs> I mean, it's not, I'm joking, but you know, it, it, it would be just enough. It's not something that I would convict somebody on. But it's certainly enough to go, no, well, that makes them look pretty guilty. Makes them look guilty of something. I'm not sure exactly why. Um, as far yeah, uh, as far as making a murderer goes, uh, you know, you know, Stephen Avery did it. Brenda Dassey did what he did in the case. He was also guilty of what he was he was charged with. All the evidence points to that, and, and what what's what's going on is these uh, movie makers in, in league with and Mara Leverett did this with uh, her book is you know they, they these so-called journalists get in league with the defense lawyers who as uh, I was listening to uh, Roberta Glass last night in her interview with. Uh, Meredith Elizabeth, who I've had some dealings with, uh, I consider her to be kind, at least an acquaintance and almost a friend, just on the basis of limited Facebook interaction, uh, uh, back when Bob Ruff was covering the West Memphis Three, and you know Meredith made a very you know very perceptive comment that's uh, absolutely true that uh, this is what defense lawyers do; they build a case. They present uh, certain limited facts to the jury with the idea that uh, the, those this is what happened or this is what didn't happen, and that's that's they're good at that. That's what they do. The ones who are good at it, that's what they do. And what uh, lawyer the defense lawyers tend to do is tend to try to. If they don't have anything else, they sow seeds of doubt, and that's what they've done with Avery. That's what they've done, tried to do with Avery. I think it's backfired at this point. Um, that's what they've tried to do. They've tried to do with uh, uh, the West Memphis Three, pretty successfully for the most part. I think a lot of people bought into the that initially. I think Damien's own behavior. Uh, and the pushback from people who are actually informed about the case is swinging opinion somewhat the other way. But uh, a lot of people still think, oh, those, those poor boys are innocent. All they did was wear black t-shirts and listen to Metallica. Uh, and as far as Adnan Sayed, I, you know, the whole thing seems to revolve around the idea that he's this good little Muslim boy. And, you now, frankly, if he were a good little Protestant boy, I'm not sure that, that some of these people would be good little white Protestant boy. I'm not so sure some of these people would be all that interested in the case. Uh, you know, it's a sort of a paternalistic attitude. Uh I just don't find it that unusual that a 17-year-old 
think he was 17, teenage boy, who very well may have been obsessed with his, his now ex-girlfriend, loses it and kills her in a fit of passion and then buries the body someplace. You know, it, that sort of thing happens all the time. I've known people that it's happened to, sadly enough. And uh, very similar circumstances. It's, it's almost generic as far as, as much of the circumstance. What's unprecedented is the attention given the case. I don't quite get, and again, I don't quite get it. But uh, I guess the serial podcast pulled, you know, uh, his friend who's pushed, 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 pushed for this, and uh, Chaudhry, and uh, I'm saying her name correctly, and um, the serial podcast, I guess, have threw this light, unprecedented light on this case that otherwise would be pretty much forgotten. Because it is fairly generic as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, I feel like I'm about to cough. I'm signing off.